0: Alright, so hello everyone and welcome back to another episode here on the Sorted Skeptics. Today we're going to have to have a rather weird conversation where we have to make the case for reality. So I'm kind of sad that we have to have this conversation and I'm really hoping we can get through it without feeling like condescending jerks. Right, Tim?
1: That's right. Hello, everyone. Um, it's also a case for objective morality. Yeah, that's right. And oppo- As opposed to subjective morality, which yep. is whatever we can make... Of ourselves.
0: And this is how far we've fallen. <laughs> <laughs> then now we have to make the case for objective morality. So let's dive in and right now. have a little bit of fun with this, alright?
1: Yeah, so... Basically, uh, have you heard people claim, in one form or another, that there is no such thing as good and evil? Or they say something like, it's all subjective, or morality is relative, or everything is permitted. Or, worst of all, nothing is real. So, I've noticed in day-to-day conversations, I've seen it in the media, I've seen it on Facebook groups. I've seen these beliefs expressed in many ways, even in like certain New Age philosophies and movements as well. It's it's a problem. And um, I just want to mention, too, that a lot of this material is based off the work of Mark Passio, who um, talks a lot about natural law and occult knowledge. So um, we'll be bringing in a a decent amount of um, information that he's um, brought to us. So um, one thing he says is that moral relativism is the disease that is destroying humanity. So what he means by that is that a morally relativistic people become an enslaved people. And how that's happened is because if there's no proper objective distinction of what's right and wrong, then... um, anything is permitted, basically. People just kind
0: of fall back on their own subjective belief on what they feel is right and wrong.
1: And they become passive order followers as well.
0: Well, I mean, if you didn't have anything to orient yourself towards, that you know might really be the only option that you've left yourself with,
1: right? Right. But um, this isn't done... This isn't just happening by accident. This is on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because what Passio talks about is occult knowledge. Since he used to be involved in a satanic organization, and he knows a lot about this stuff, and occult knowledge basically just means hidden knowledge. Okay. Um, And it's knowledge that's reserved for the few. He uses an image of a pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid is where the occult knowledge is, and then at the bottom is... Basically, the ignorance of the masses, <laughs> and um, the point of this is that this this knowledge of basically how the universe works, how morality works, um, even to a certain extent, psychology. A lot of this has been suppressed, and we've been duped in a lot of ways, and there are forms of mind control being um, being employed
0: on us. Okay, like what would you consider to be mind control?
1: Well, um I would say certain you can find in certain religious organizations um because some of them I would say a good amount of them don't promote independent thought or questioning questioning certain um things that are being taught mm-hmm. or um...
0: Well, I guess if it wasn't really good for that institution, it it would that would kind of make sense, though, right? It's like if they sort of think, well, everything has to be done this particular way, it can't really be questioned in any sense. And I think in that sense, that's usually once an institution has become too... I don't use the term xenophobic, because I don't think it's the right word, but it's sort of if they're not open to any sort of outside information, they sort of stagnate because eventually they're just going to get competed by other groups and taken over or assimilated or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. other side of it is, is if you don't have enough of that, you have the chance of having contagions coming in, like literal viral pathogens. right? So there was a, an objective moral reason for both positions. But the thing is, you never know which is the right position. You don't know if you, know, you need to close the gates or if you need to open them. Mm-hmm. You know, well... like You're going to have to live with the consequences either way, right?
1: Right, right.
0: So this idea of moral relativism being a disease, I, I can kind of see how that's... Yeah, I, I can see where you're going with that, because I guess if there isn't something objective for us to orient ourselves towards, then the idea of morality sort of loses all meaning, right? Because then all you're talking about is preference. So why would you even have something called morality? And
1: that just goes back to our ego-driven preferences. Right. Or self-interested. Yeah. Like, it's all about me, 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 my own pleasures, supersede yours. But even the
0: idea of self-interest, is like, what, what does that mean specifically? You're talking about, like, your self-interest now versus your self-interest in 10 years. Or the self-interest of you and your family and your community and all that kind of stuff, like. If your self-interest also benefits everybody else, it it seems like that would be a good thing to pursue, but I think maybe what you're talking about here would be everybody pursuing their own interests almost at the indifference or expense of other people. Does that make sense? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, it's, well, some people are like that. Like, they are more, you know, focused on their own needs, um but it's also... Um, is
0: it an excessive, like, inward focus you're talking about? Whereas rather than orienting yourself towards the people around you and some of the problems that you could help solve, you're sort of solipsistically looking inwards. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's, I solipsism that. is yeah. another
1: kind of enemy that he mentions as well, yeah. where I'm the things... only thing that's real yeah. and everything else is fake.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like those things would easily go hand in hand, right? If If you're sort of have... If you have no moral objectivity whatsoever and everything is subjective mm-hmm. or relative, then, it, you know, yeah. of course, like, it would make perfect sense that you think you're the only thing in the universe because mm-hmm. you're the, the only, you're the arbiter of all morality.
1: hmm right? But the three hardest words that are, that could be spoken by an individual was, I was wrong. Yeah. Right.
0: No kidding. That's not an easy uh, combination of words to string together in that order. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And the that's part of this natural law is an emphasis on self knowledge and getting your putting yourself together, sorting yourself out. As we've mentioned many times throughout this podcast. Yeah. It does. It does start with the individual. Yeah,
0: and having a good relationship with reality. And understanding that, you know, regardless of how you feel about it, reality doesn't really seem to care about your feelings. And once we can get accept that, maybe we can properly orient ourselves towards things that will actually work, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we can't have, let's say, too much right brain dominance, which is more focused on feeling and emotion Mm -hmm. and, you know, our subjective, our subjectivity, our preferences. We want to have a left and right brain balance, and integration of the two. Well, I like
0: the both. way uh, Peterson did that left and right brain stuff because he talked about it being sort of like the realm of the known and the realm of the unknown. Yeah. And working together. So one of them, like, I think the left brain was supposed to be your, the area of the known and the right brain was the unknown.
1: Yeah, so it's your more, int- the left brains are more intellectual, logical, reasonable um, part of you.
0: Well, you know what, I'm going to be honest, like even like, going through all this it's the
1: masculine stuff. as well all the stuff you would say
0: well I mean yeah but I mean he puts up the slides but again even like the stuff that i went through and when I did the neuro stuff in in university like it's not really the way the brain breaks down I mean there is contralateral uh you know the way it differentiates the function of the left and right side of your body like the left side of your mm-hmm. body is controlled by the right side of your brain and stuff so there is a split obviously but mm-hmm. having like that much of an effect on your personality I'm just not sure it's the right way to look at it you know
1: Well, okay, what he would say is that there is a left there are imbalances. Mm. Let's let's just say for now that the left right brain concept it's more of a metaphor in a way. Yeah. Maybe fair it enough. doesn't exactly yeah. map out to the physical location. Yes. Yeah. But um it's um it's
0: sort of like a, a duality of self almost
1: yeah so there's a with the left yeah in yeah in a way and we're we're striving for an integration of a two right. not not an extreme focus on one or the other because so, the more
0: those two split apart the bigger you're gonna be uh out of whack right yeah exactly. so so if you can get those things properly lined up in uh in harmony then you know you're gonna get to have The ability to have boundaries and protect your interests, as well as exploring new possibilities, which seems like a better orientation in the world than constantly being at war with yourself.
1: Yes. Let's say, like for example, with a left brain, a left brain imbalance, you would see these expressions of um of a extreme materialism, or you'd also see this deterministic ideology where um you're not you can't change yourself like everything's gonna happen no matter what and you don't have any free will
0: oh okay is that sort of like the uh the locust of control idea where on on one extreme you think like i have no agency to control anything and on the other extreme, you think everything is your fault. So,
1: like the internal and external. Yeah, exactly. Locus like if you if those like...
0: things aren't properly lined up with reality, you know you might think that something that isn't actually your fault at all is completely your fault, and you're responsible for it. You're gonna eat yourself up. And on the other side, if you believe that absolutely nothing is your fault and everything was inevitable, then well, why would you be responsible for anything? Hmm. Why would anything matter if everything is determined ahead of time and there is no control or agency or free will or anything like that? Then You know why? Why would you get pissed off at somebody who whipped a rock at your window? Hmm. Why wouldn't you get mad at the rock?
1: Right. There's no free will. Right, right, right. The rock broke your window.
0: Why would you get mad at the person? The person didn't have any free will. They were going to throw it anyway.
1: Well, yeah. Well, there's no difference between the person and the rock, right? It's like and the presupposition is that actions don't matter. It's yeah, so the why person's would you, actions. So why would you get pissed off at it? But the thing is you know they But will. that's a to me that's <laughs> insane, yeah. right? Because yeah, of course, you know there's no because that that person wouldn't take responsibility and it would just be yeah, some... But listen,
0: bud, your your window was just gonna break anyway. Because somebody yeah, was yeah. gonna Don't blame me. Don't blame <laughs> me. I'm just the messenger. <laughs> you don't know want the messenger, right? You know, I'm just you know but that is, that's not how the universe works. No, no we, we hold people accountable for their their actions, right? So I mean, I think like yeah, yeah, you know, the whole idea of uh, there being no free will it doesn't really seem to stand up to a lot of scrutiny because we we treat people as if they do have free will and like to be treated as if we have free will. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you get treated like you're some automaton that has no agency, you probably get kind of annoyed by that. I probably would.
1: Yeah, you know what? Um, I just thought of an example uh, Mm -hmm. from Stefan Molyneux. He would talk about how at one point his mother would be, like, screaming at him. You know, just, like, getting bent out of shape about some insignificant thing. And then she would pick up the phone and talk to her boyfriend and whisper sweet nothings into his ear. (laughs) Like a complete angel, right? So it's like
0: she could control her behavior. Yeah. She just chose not to.
1: And... And sometimes we do, we might assume that, okay, they're a certain way and then they're just getting, you know, taken over by something. And yeah, maybe it relates to the shadow again, where Mm. our unconscious, our unconsciousness is taking us over. But we do, we want to promote the idea that there is free will and that we can, we can change ourselves for the better. Mm -hmm. And, um there is this line of thought of of determinism and even i think sam harris promotes this okay to a certain extent too and so we have these higher up intellectuals putting these ideas out in a wide um in a wide uh, array right and i think it's detrimental to our progress essentially and yeah, it
0: doesn't seem to be helping all that much to tell people that they have no way of changing or improving their circumstances. And yeah, doesn't really seem to be a very positive message.
1: Well, yeah, if you don't believe that... If you believe that everything is just going to happen automatically, basically that we're like animals and that our, our behaviors are, are are pre-wired and we're just going to, you know, automatically react to things yeah. like an animal would. But... Natural law, and this is one objective, objection that I've heard from people, but natural law is meant for intelligent beings that have a certain level of consciousness because we're different from animals and that, you know, we can't sit down and explain physics to our cat or, you know, talk yeah. to our dog about the law of thermodynamics or, yeah, or we, morality. We, yeah, and...
0: You wouldn't hold an animal morally accountable. In the yeah. same way that you would hold a human morally accountable, right? Like if, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't expect a wolf to not eat you if it was starving. You know what I mean? You wouldn't sit there and think like, oh man, this this wolf better fear the justice system because it'll definitely go to jail and be held accountable if it <laughs> eats me. It's like, I don't think the wolf gives a shit. I'm serious. Like, yeah.
1: it's just going to eat you, right? So It's got its own animal instincts. And... Yeah,
0: and, and you probably wouldn't blame the wolf either. You'd probably be like, well, maybe you should stop, you know going making wolf calls in the woods in the middle of the night by yourself and constantly trying to run into these animals and expecting them not to eat you because one of these days you're probably just going to get eaten. I
1: don't know. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's one, you know, area of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we need to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong and the way Pasio describes it is right is correct it's based in truth it's moral which means it's in harmony with natural law and the consequences that'll happen um, and a right is actions based in it that do know um, they do not result in harm to other sentient beings So, right action does not result in harm to other sentient beings. Now, a wrong is incorrect, not based in truth. It's immoral. It's in opposition to natural law. And it constitutes actions that are based in, that they result in harm to other sentient beings. So, um, this comes to transgressions of natural law. So these include murder and assault, rape, theft, trespassing, and coercion. And I guess it seems kind of silly that we actually have to, like, mention this, yeah, but well, it's no, still occurring. Well, I mean, any
0: system of morality that you're going to try to propose is going to have to incorporate those things.
1: Yeah, these are the principles. These are the, the first and most important things that we're trying to...
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not even sure if they go back as far as first principles, right? Because it's... The first principle will be something that's just an a priori truth that can exist independent of anything else. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's immoral to initiate force against an innocent person. I think that's probably something we can agree with, because you wouldn't be able to do any of that without initiating force. Except maybe trespass. You could probably be sneaky and get away with that. But it would still be a violation of property rights, which is in itself sort of an act of force or coercion or fraud.
1: Well, yeah, um... With natural law, he also says, like all, all of this basically links all to theft. So if somebody was trespassing, that could be understood as stealing somebody's security. Yeah, the person who's being trespassed. Well, upon. it's
0: an interesting thing to bring up because what exactly is trespassing? Like, if say uh, it's like a because I mean, being it, it doesn't battle, it doesn't elevate to the level of breaking and entering. Right, it's somewhere. Oh. It's somewhere in between you being in a public space and you being in a private space, right? So try, or it's one of these places where you're in a public space, like a mall, but the security pl- has asked you to leave.
1: Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm.
0: don't, now you are trespassing, right? So you're mm-hmm. basically in a place you're not supposed to be, but it's not like you've like broken into someone's home and have now. I mean, that's part of it, but that's oh. that's. It, I don't think it, it's elevated to that level. I think you can have trespass in abandoned places,
1: mm-hmm, which isn't mm-hmm. quite
0: the same as breaking into someone's home, I think, morally. No. I just don't think it's quite at that same level, but it's still a crime and a violation of someone's privacy and their security and, you know, what they choose to use their property for and all this kind of stuff as well.
1: Okay. So, sure.
0: And it's interesting that it's in there with things like, you know, theft and rape and murder and all the, the most heinous of crimes, but, you know, I think they all would fit under the realm of violations of property rights. Because if you murder someone, you're violating their right to use their own body. And you're violating their right to have a life. Yeah. So that's a violation of their property. Because, you know, you are you hold people responsible for what they do with their bodies. Right? Because they, yeah. they own their bodies. That's why. It's like, if I hit somebody, I can't say, sorry, that wasn't me. That was just my hand. <laughs> like, I don't right. own it. It's just part of my body. It's like, what the yeah. hell does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. And of course, you own your body. So if you like damage somebody else's body that's a violation of their property rights it's kind of a weird like clinical and uh way of thinking about it but that's what it is right like Uh if you commit any of these heinous crimes against people you're violating their property right which which is their body or their or what they've created with their body including you know like a fence or something (laughs) as well as the money that they've used to put what they've created into a form of savings Mm-hmm. So anything mm-hmm. like that, theft or uh, robbery, that's all a form of property rights violation. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think it all falls under that uh, that same umbrella, but I think now with this moral relativism that you're talking about, you get a lot of people who think, well, you know, there's no real such thing as property rights. We can take from some people to give to other people to make things more of our, the way mm-hmm. we would like them to be. And it just, mm-hmm. somehow there's this double think where they kind of get away with it morally. In the name of,
1: quote unquote, equality. You know, the greater good, Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Let's make things more equal and more equality. And it's like, well, why is that necessary? Well, that's
1: that's pretty much forcing or, I guess, coercion, isn't it, in and of itself?
0: In a sense, yeah. Because you're also putting those people in a system of dependency now. Right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, all right, well, we're just going to continuously give this group a bunch of resources. It's like, okay, well, what happens when those resources are no longer available? Now what is that group going to do? So now you have to continuously steal in perpetuity. Continue to fund it. Mm-hmm. Because now right. they, now they, and you see this now with whenever time anyone talks about maybe cutting back on spending a little bit at the state level, mm-hmm. it's like, well, now you're taking money from people. It's like, well, I suppose yeah, if they were used to getting it all the time, it would probably seem that way. But fundamentally, you're stopping taking money from people to give to them, hmm. provided you lower the taxes in, in accordance with what you're no longer paying for. Right. Like, right. This is this is a state apparatus that's like. It's huge and it's complicated and there's so many layers to it and a lot of people are depending on it for their very survival. So what do we do about that? It's a very, very complicated problem. Yeah. You know, but it's one of these things if we keep kicking the can down the road, it just gets more and more expensive.
1: And if we Um, don't know about our own rights and our own sovereignty and our own independence and if we don't learn about these things and... You'd have no reason to oppose any of that then,
0: right? Yeah. So I see your point. Yeah, it's... uh, so if you can kind of get people to understand it, it's like, well, the whole reason this system exists, you're also being, you know, you've been handed this great culture and civilization, but you've also been handed the bill for it, <laughs> and, and it's somewhere to the tune of about $45,000 per person in our country, when you take into account, and this is just the money that's been spent. This doesn't even include unfunded liabilities.
1: Yeah, we were born into it. Yeah, born into we it. We never it. had a choice. No, no,
0: no, we didn't have a choice into this at all, and... You know, but that's, that's sort of like the greatest cliche of human existence, right? It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't choose to be born to be a caveman. Oh, this
1: fucking sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have friggin, they didn't have governments or... No, no, they didn't. States or, nope. you know, no, arbi- actually... some arbitrary authority that was granted to some individual.
0: Well, it's a, it's a sort of a technology that's kind of new, right? The idea yeah. of the nation state is only like a couple hundred years old. Right, You know, before that, you'd have different empires and all these other kinds of ways of organizing each other under kings and
1: and lords and all that. That's not exactly the best either. (laughs) Because, again, it comes down to who who granted, how did God somehow grant them the authority? You you know know what I mean? Yeah, and this is... uh, And that, it's not questioned very much. And it's like, even in the media, like, when the last week, oh, everybody goes crazy for the new... um, the new infant that's been born yeah. by prince harry right
0: yeah people are losing their minds over a kid that was born that they'll never met that they're never going to meet with a couple yeah. they've
1: never met yeah it's like it's like okay who yeah that's, that's great you know it's all and why are you giving attention to these people so much you uh, know and and they're 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 part of the problem too they maintain yeah these i don't know systems the, the british control. monarchy
0: it seems to be sort of a kind of a toothless institution at this point sort of a relic from, a relic for the tourists that's kind of how well, I see it. But these...
1: they're so good. Why don't they help make you know their society better and not hoard? By
0: what? By, well, you know what they they have a net worth of like a few hundred million dollars.
1: Like they I thought the I think the queen's worth a lot more than that. I, I don't know why. <laughs> why would
0: she like her? Her power doesn't come from money. She's the queen. What does she need money for? Nobody charges her for anything.
1: No, but I, I my, my, my argument is a good ruler should do whatever they can to serve their people in the best possible way.
0: Yeah, and the devil is not only in the details, it's the entire argument, right? Because if what they're doing is sort of totalitarian in some way, it's like, well, their idea of what the greater good for their people is might not actually end up turning out that way in the real world. You know, because a lot of them have tried, you know, various ways, you know, let's make it, I don't know, the best outcome for my people, so I'm going to go screw over this other group of people, and it's like, all right, well... And this problem just sort of escalates, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be much evidence to me that they're, you know, exactly making a positive Which ones <laughs> impact. The royals. No, no, they don't do anything. But like, <laughs> this is like,
0: they, so they sort of abdicated their political responsibility a long time ago. It was sort of a, you know, they had the separation of church and state, and then they sort mm-hmm. of had the separation of monarchy from government. Mm-hmm. So now they have a parliament that does all that kind of stuff, and the, but all the laws they pass need royal assent, so the Queen can kind of say yay or nay on a lot of that stuff. But I imagine a lot of that's just procedural sort of treaty stuff with the EU and stuff like that. But
1: I guess you know we can agree, though, it's a fairly I think outdated...
0: Oh, yeah, but that, that's what I mean. It, it's not really a functional power se- center like it used to be. Like, the monarchy before was like, you know, they, they could just dictate whether you lived or died on the spot. And everyone would be like, "Okay, cool. Like, let's not go against what the queen says. Mm-hmm. Like, that person's gonna die straight up." But now it's sort of like, she just sort of shows up for royal functions and sort of it's more of a seem like a more of like a theatrical role at this point. It doesn't seem to be as powerful as they were, like say a few hundred years ago, because they're not really the ones calling the shots anymore.
1: No, not really. The queen. Well,
0: specifically. I just not want to see her behind the scenes pulling a bunch of strings and doing this or that to make the world worse. You, well,
1: like, what, you what we're... What Passio talks about is that um, the dark occultists are the ones that yeah. are at the top. That they're running the media organizations, the big... other big corporations, the government you know um various other now, sectors now
0: are these like specific individuals and i guess like well the, the kind of begs the question is like well who are they
1: right um well <laughs> yeah i mean i don't have any names yeah no, that
0: would probably make sense because they're they would probably be that i don't think they'd
1: be want to be widely known exactly that's what i
0: mean like if. But this is one of the problems with it. It's sort of a, an unfalsifiable hypothesis, right, to postulate that there's a bunch of people up there pulling the strings. It's like, well, how would you know if it wasn't true? Well, it's like, well, I don't know. I, I don't really have any means of testing it because anything that you would say is like, well, what about this or that? It's like, oh, well, here's some way that they would have gone about preventing you from finding it out. It's like, okay, well, then how do we test that it's actually true?
1: I hear what you're saying. Um... Well the i the idea is is that they've been they're entrenched in all these institutions mm-hmm. and that they use this knowledge, this knowledge of natural law to manipulate others.
0: Okay.
1: And you kinda of have to listen to more about his experience within the satanic organization, but um would you say it's so hard to fathom that
0: that you know, people, people could
1: yeah, use yeah. this for an evil purpose.
0: Like, have people been manipulating and screwing over other people for forever? Yeah, like, sure. Like I, that doesn't seem too surprising, that somebody who would rise to the top of a dominance hierarchy like that would probably want to maintain their position by any means necessary, including manipulating people and using whatever means necessary, yeah. including things like psychology and whatever else to ensure that they get the behavior they want from others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: why why is that But the thing is, there's people out there who won't even can't even fathom that people are that smart or that they're that devious or they're conscious enough to even do that. Like some people think humans are just so ignorant or they're lazy or um there's another word. But you, you know what I mean? Like, it's...
0: Is it so... It's, is naivety the problem? Like, there are certain people yeah, that are so Naivete, naivete
1: is, is definitely... An... So this would be like the, the
0: story of, like, you know, the, the wide-eyed country bumpkin who comes to the city for the first time and basically gets robbed within ten minutes because she's way too trusting of other people? So there's that attitude? Or are you saying that there's other people who would doubt that other people are that power-thirsty then they just wouldn't believe that that would exist, because maybe not a lot of people are that power thirsty, so they couldn't see themselves doing it. It's like, well, yeah, maybe that's why I don't believe it, because it's,
1: mm-hmm. or believing we're efficient enough to. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, even <laughs> look, look at like
0: these like politicians. Like some of these people are just cutthroats. Like they'll say whatever they need to say. They'll lie to your face.
1: Yeah, and that's part of the problem. It's the yeah. age of deception that we live in, and they promote these lies, and that's.
0: Well, I think, I think it's like, it's the age of deception has been everything up and to the point where now we have things to counter it. You know what I mean? Where now you can take two news clips back to back and sort of show the politician saying one thing, like mm. a week ago, and then saying the exact opposite thing today. Or saying something, and then it's, it comes out that it's in direct contradiction with the facts. And you can, and you can put it up and you can throw it online and it's available for the world to see within minutes.
1: It's a good point. We do have a lot of knowledge. So the only reason I
0: think people might think it's the age of deception now is because it's like, no, now we have just the tools to see how we're already in the age of deception, and it's always been that way. You know what I mean? The people in power kind of set the rules and the narrative and all that kind of stuff, and everyone has to toe the line or risk
1: death. But what gives them the right to do that in the first place? Force. It seems. And? Is that right?
0: No, it's morally reprehensible, but... You know what I mean? If they cared about that, they wouldn't have risen up to that level of power to begin with.
1: Yeah, and they believe in a form of social Darwinism, too, which is essentially the strongest deserve to survive. In in a sense. In any means necessary. But it's
0: almost like a perversion of what he was talking about, because Darwin was talking about the fittest organism surviving. So the most adaptable. And in a Mm. sense, that's sort of what they're doing. They're adapting in every possible way, because they're so thirsty for power and controlling other people that that's, like, their one mission. And as soon as they get a little bit of power, they want more. And it's like an addiction, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Mm -hmm. we don't treat them like addicts. Apparently, we treat them like, I don't know, the Illuminati or something like that. It's like, okay, but, I mean, this is, like, a natural human behavior just taken to an extreme.
1: Well, it's psychopathic.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, it would probably fit the definition, but... I don't know, it seems like a... Okay, once we've defined them as being psychopaths, it's like, okay, well, now what? How, how do you go about using that in the real world? Are we going to start, I don't know, looking funny at people we think are too ambitious or something?
1: Is that the no. idea?
0: Because that doesn't seem like it would work either, but I, well, think, I think it's important. Is
1: is money, um, wouldn't you say we live in an era where money is one of these false gods? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, That's a, and that's a cool point as well, because it's an idol that you sort of elevate to the point of saying, okay, well... If I can orient myself to something higher and I make that thing money, I can... Rather than going around with, like, my tax return printed on my T-shirt, showing how much money I make, I'll just go around and give off signals, like, look at this sweet car I drive and this big house I live in. Yeah, it's a bunch of bullshit. And all this... Yeah, and it's like, look at all these fancy toys, but all all it is is sort of signaling, uh, I guess, a superficial form of success. Yeah. So, but but it's... (laughs) Like, yeah, it's, it's a like, shallow existence. A little bit, yeah. And maybe
1: yeah. you could argue, okay, how does that really affect anybody? Well, you know, people are free to make their own choices, right?
0: Yeah, but I guess in the absence of any other kind of role model, maybe they get sucked into that vortex as well. And then it doesn't seem like a really great outcome for people, but it almost seems like if you fall into that trap, then the sort of the process is the punishment. It's like, okay, you want to go chase after all that material crap and think it's gonna make you happy? Mm-hmm. All right, go for it have fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's gonna be a lot of people that make a lot of money off that attitude. and you know, keep a lot of gears turning. You know what I mean? Keep a lot of factories ch- <laughs> churning out crap we don't need.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, is our purpose just to accumulate well, as you... many resources as possible and keep our family secure? And... Oh, like
0: that, uh, the, the transition from citizen to consumer.
1: Right.
0: Where we used to call ourselves citizens, but now they're, they talk about shit like the the consumer you know, confidence ratings and all this kind of stuff. It's like, all they see is we're just consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we go make money in order to consume. Yeah. And that's all we do. Consume, consume, consume. All and
1: that's what they want to keep, keep going rather than having well, don't we an enlightened, enlightened to... group of people. But don't
0: we all want to keep it going? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like part of every part of our job has something to do with consumption. Do you know what I mean? If all of us woke up at the same time and realized we didn't really need any stuff, we'd almost all be out of jobs because <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. nobody wants to consume anything anymore. It's like, all right. Well, it's, it's yeah, you, it is a like, part of it, our
1: existence. Oh, yeah. Well, you have
0: like farmers and like people that make, I don't know, clean water or something like that <laughs> in terms of people who, uh, you know, like some of the stuff that people buy now is insane. Like you can buy, you can buy Instagram likes. Did you know that?
1: Right. Yeah. You, you
0: can buy Instagram yeah, followers, yeah. real genuine.
1: Yeah. YouTube followers. Like
0: triple A grade prime cut <laughs> Instagram followers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. And the idea is like, what uh, it's basically just people that are going to promote your channel and all this stuff.
1: But I could just fake my popularity. Yeah, I
0: could just fake my popularity <laughs> so that I could feel better about myself and show everyone how popular I am so that they'll think I'm really special and sweet. It's like, oh my God, what have what have we become?
1: That um, wouldn't be true self-esteem, which is another episode that we've done before. Yeah,
0: yeah, but if you would literally buy that stuff, it's like, oh my God, that's, it just seems so weird that people would pay for it. Right. I, I see the incentive, I suppose, if you want to kind of be like, oh, look at how popular I am. It's like, but deep down, don't you, don't you know, like, you, you bought it yourself?
1: Or what I about, or what about, yeah, sorry, Um. Yeah. what about these people who send out these fake emails that try to get, like, credit cards oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. whatever else? Well, that, mean,
0: that, that almost seems like an easier thing to understand, right? That's just a financial motive. It's like, you want money, so it costs nothing to send out a million emails because it's a free system. So you send out a million emails, you get 100 hits you know, you got a few thousand out of each of them, you're laughing. Oh, yeah, but I meant people and, and who are like,
1: tricking people with, like, fake fake yeah. like websites and stuff. Oh, yeah, fraud. Like, their... I,
0: I deal with it all the yeah. time, man. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty insidious, but the... But people the...
1: can deceive themselves into thinking it's okay, because they Well, they'll... obviously
0: they do, or or they're just sort of thinking, hey, you know, it's, it's kind of shitty that I have to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. But I think, yeah, you're right, a lot of them are probably thinking, hey, if I can trick these idiots into giving me their money, then I deserve it. And I think that's probably the attitude that drives a lot of it. You know, it's it's sort of a sense of entitlement, right? It's a sense of entitlement to the unearned. And I think that's probably the crux of a lot of these issues right now, is that people Mm -hmm. feel entitled to that which they haven't earned. So they'll either take it, or they'll have somebody else take it for them. Right? And that moral relativism that you were talking about before,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, it Mm -hmm. allows
0: them to justify that.
1: And avoid self-reflection. Right. Which is something a lot of you know, a majority of people will avoid and sure there's a reason for that. It's difficult work. Yeah. to look at yourself in a very honest light and some of the things that you need to to fix or get get straight with.
0: Exactly. Let's say. And a lot of this this self work can obviously be difficult and if you guys are going through that process right now, we'd actually love to hear how you're going through that process. So if you guys would like to drop us an email, you can always reach us at sordidskeptics at gmail.com. That's S-O-R-D-I-D-S-K-I-P-T-I-C-S at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, I think we're also on Stitcher if you guys are using that as well. And uh, if you have any feedback for the show, we'd definitely love to hear from you. And if you have any topic suggestions or questions, uh, we can definitely throw uh, throw that into the show as well. So again, sorted skeptics at gmail.com. Great.
1: So it may seem we're kind of all over the place with this <laughs> yeah, right. topic in a way, but we're kind of just scratching the surface. There's many facets of of natural law and what Passio describes and you know, uh, he, he, for example, like he goes, he he goes through a lot of definitions of words, so we get the proper understanding of what our words mean. Because a lot of us don't know what like the Latin root of certain words actually mean, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to get those things um, defined, right? Yeah, because
0: if you're able to control language and you can just equivocate the definition you'd prefer, then that gives you. Uh quite a bit of power over people that is probably unearned. Makes sense. Yeah,
1: very problematic, for sure. Um,
0: So what does it mean to be sovereign and above all of this stuff?
1: To be sovereign itself, the root of it means to be above rulership or control. So the essential problem with assuming we live in a godless universe is who's left to rule. If a human becomes the highest possible authority we have to answer to, then we are vulnerable to such horrors like totalitarianism, communism, and other ideologies that try to make their leader a false god. You could see it as an imbalance of too much order and corruption at its highest expression. So. It's like, would you rather like to serve in serve in heaven or rule in hell kind of thing hmm. in a way, um, and this is the important thing about acknowledging a God, and that we are born, we have this divine this divine spark, and we're born with sovereignty. It's our birthright, and these people are trying to make us forget it or not acknowledge it or you know through their systems of control um and there are other false gods that dominate our culture in the form of money politics government um scientism which is an extreme form of materialism um, certain forms of religion and new age spirituality now i'm not saying that there aren't important spiritual truths in religion but They don't go as deep as the esoteric traditions or what they would call the mystery traditions and um, this is what natural law is about it's about this occult knowledge and the proper use of it and natural law is essentially the recognition of a creator of the universe which is dictated by universal principles that apply to all people of all places at all times It is an objective morality, meaning it is grounded in reality, and it's not something humans made up, but discovered. Whether you believe it or it's irrelevant, knowing of its existence and applying it is what matters most. So the idea is, if you know how to act in accordance, I guess, with these laws, you're going to be able to make the changes in your life that you want you want to make. But it's the actions more. that
0: would be important,
1: right? Yeah, you can't do it without actions. Because, the because knowledge that's the problem self, with, yeah, like, The, the Secret, for example, which is another one of these New Age ideas that gained huge popularity.
0: And what was the idea with that? Was that you just, like, put out whatever you want into the world, like, with your mind, and it manifests itself? Like, how does that yeah, work? Yeah, it
1: was, like, mainly, like, focusing on the intentions, like, your, your thoughts, and... Um, in order to manifest something. But if you're thrown out of an airplane, you can't just will a parachute out of nowhere. Or, you know... Uh,
0: yeah. Very true.
1: Yeah. The lo- The physical laws are going to um, just happen. They're going to come know, back and bury in the
0: ass big time.
1: Yeah. So, it's also... It also kind of... um The Secret also kind of, um, promotes this subjectivity, like, certain bad things that might happen to you, or just meant to happen to you, and they're part of your experience, and you don't need to blame those people who did something horrible to you, Hmm. it's just, it was just meant to happen, and, you know, it's all good, and you just have to, you focus on your attentions, (laughs) mainly, and, um... And this is uh, something Passio talks about. Um, he says natural law is the real law of attraction because it does have a focus on action and having our actions aligned with our our mind and our heart, essentially our thoughts and our emotions. So. No, that makes a
0: lot of sense because if you if you believe one thing, but you're constantly acting out of accordance with that. It'll kind of eat you up inside.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
0: yeah i think that, that's uh, like cognitive cognitive uh, dissonance that's just yeah. constant right but uh yeah i think the actions part definitely makes a lot of sense because we all we all know that and accept that maxim that actions speak louder than words like if somebody says one thing but then acts in a completely different way we don't go with what they said as a belief about their opinion we say well you acted this way so i'm going to presume that's what you actually think not what you told mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. right? So we already know that actions are more important than this sort of new-agey, just-feel-your-way-to-happiness kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, So I think if you uh, learn how to act in accordance with natural law and the way the reality is actually laid out, you're probably going to find that you're a little bit less surprised with the kind of obstacles you get thrown, because those obstacles will also be in accordance with reality.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and again, there are certain requirements for change. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, you're just going to get the same result. So, you know, changing your thoughts, emotions, and actions about something will help you get a different result manifested in reality.
0: Yeah, do something completely different. Right. All Um. right. So this is also kind of an old idea as well. A lot of a lot of these ancient philosophers have talked about it. So. We wanted to run through just uh, a brief summary of what some of these older philosophers said. So, let's see, Aristotle. So, laws of man may vary from place to place. Laws of nature do not. So, not of today or yesterday it is, but lives eternal. None can date its birth. Hmm. So, I think what he means by this is it doesn't really matter where you go. It doesn't matter what the laws of a particular town are here, 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 or here. But if you stay outside and it's freezing, you're probably going to freeze to death. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, the, the, that reality doesn't change regardless of where you are, regardless of whether or not it's illegal to sleep outside.
1: And it's weird. Um, I got another example, too. Um, this happened on Facebook, and it's like, okay, in certain cultures, um, rape is permissible, basically, or assaulting your partner. And... So, so who
0: are we to judge, kind of? Is that what the, the argument is?
1: I guess the argument is well, no, it's it's their it's just their culture. So you're basically so,
0: dismissing the heinous act by using that cultural relativism yeah. and saying, well, you know, we who are we to judge these you know rapey people raping all their all their women and stuff? Who are they, we to impose? Who are we to bodies? impose our our values of no rape on on their rapey culture? Yeah, maybe maybe they just uh, <laughs> maybe they they didn't. <laughs> You know, uh, they did it for years and they years. They did it for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did it for years and years. So that makes it. Uh... And they they can't
1: change themselves. No, they obviously have no
0: agency. Like look at them; they're bloody rapists. They like, they can't help themselves. So you know, you guys are racist for I mean, like, <laughs> saying that, saying that that's wrong. It's like, are you are people serious? Like, but I think they are serious. I think these these idiots believe this. that's
1: a big part of the problem.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's okay to sort of say that, hey, that behavior is wrong without impugning an entire group of people. You know, it's going to be your opponent that sort of says, well, you know, you're saying that whole group of people is rapists. It's like, no, I'm saying that one guy raping that one person, that is wrong. We should not tolerate it. No matter what. No matter what. None Mm -hmm. of this, like, you know, hiding behind a group of people that you don't speak for.
1: There are certain things where there is no gray area for
0: yeah, like it, it seems like a pretty pretty cut and dry. That's not acceptable. Right. So if we can at least agree on that, at least we can <laughs> kind of move forward. But it's like if we can't, it's like, God, we're never gonna get past square one, are we? It's like all right, let's agree on the basics. No, okay, I guess I'll put the coffee on.
1: We're gonna be here a while. And that's another thing he mentions: uh, conscience, conscious is, um, these moral laws that we've all pretty much agreed on.
0: Yeah, they kind of been figured out over a little while. You yeah. know what what kind yeah. of works and what doesn't doesn't mean people follow him all the time. I mean, it doesn't seem to have much bearing on whether they're there or not. Uh, So let's see here. And so Empedocles... That's a horrible name. (laughs) When he bids us kill no living creature, he is saying that to do this is not just for some people, whilst unjust for others. Nay, but an all-embracing law through the realms of the sky, unbroken it stretcheth, and over the Earth's immensity. So, you can't really say, hey, this action is immoral for this person, but it's moral for this person. The laws mm. have to be the same for everybody, you know, mm. regardless Which of who you are. Which is true equality. Yes, and that's true equality under the same moral law, where it's like, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, where you're from.
1: How oppressed you are. How oppressed you
0: are. It's like the same or laws. Or how privileged you are. <laughs> or how privileged you are. Yeah, the same <laughs> laws apply. So, this is one of the things I find with people who go off about saying it's, it's completely immoral to eat animals. It's like, okay, well, are you saying that the people who, like, rely on eating animals for survival are also immoral? So mm-hmm. I don't think you'd make that argument if you, you know, had the opportunity to. But it seems like by saying that us doing it is... And then like, oh, well, you know, we have the choice to eat other things. It's like, well, that doesn't really play into the morality of it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just saying, well, if you can do something different, then it becomes immoral. Like, no, it's either immoral or it isn't. You know, and I think it becomes very, very difficult to sort of say... Take a behavior, but then subdivide it into other behaviors. Like, well, eating is moral unless it's eating this, 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 this.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, it's either eating is immoral or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, what about people like cannibals? It's like, well, yeah. You know, let let us try to stay on topic. <laughs> you know, like, what what kind of eating would be the most immoral? It's like, well, you can't eat other people. It's like, well, not when they're alive, presumably. Mm-hmm. But like, what about eating dead people? Is that immoral? Mm. I I don't know what system... I guess if you didn't kill them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. If you didn't kill them,
1: obviously,
0: (laughs) that's a good point. Then it's like, we don't really need laws for cannibalism because we already have them for not killing people. I I don't think any system of morality that could call itself moral would say that somebody who is alive has to give up their life for the sake of not desecrating a corpse. Mm -hmm. I just -hmm. don't see how those things could be congruent. Right? So, if you're gonna say it's immoral for you to desecrate that corpse and you have to die of starvation rather than do it, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like a system of morality that is in congruence with reality whatsoever.
1: seems reasonable to me. Yeah, Perfect.
0: just like a system of morality that doesn't conform to reality, you know
1: mm-hmm. you need mm-hmm.
0: to get now now it's better to have two dead bodies than one that's that's yeah. better
1: well how's that yeah but you know like how's that truly just how is that just i don't know it doesn't make any
0: sense i mean would it be <laughs> nice to not mess with dead bodies it's like yeah let's not mess with dead bodies god's sake you know but this is this is what <laughs> i hate about this crap words and i think it, it comes up from these uh and Molly you talked a lot about this and you made such a good point where he was like when people bring up these like the the train track fallacy like would you throw the switch to kill one guy rather than five all it is is saying like morality is or ethics is is just this thing that you can only do in the abstract and it can never be real and all this and it doesn't matter what choice you make cuz it's bad either way like it's just a, just a bunch yeah. of
1: nonsense and it's like what about it's an oversimplification yeah it's an oversimpl- it doesn't it doesn't bear on reality at all no
0: like yeah. I, I think the uh when the, that's not what it's for yeah when the rubber really meets the road i think you have to know the difference between right and wrong but also the difference between better and worse Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest point here is that in emergency situations, the laws of morality do not apply. Because I don't think you'd hold people morally responsible in emergency situations. Right? It's like if if there was a... Let me give you an example. Say there was a, uh, a guy having a heart attack or there was a fire and you had to break glass to retrieve either an AED or a fire extinguisher. Nobody would hold you morally responsible for making a mess and having glass all over the floor. No. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't see that as an act of vandalism, for example. But if you were to just go up and smash it and there was no emergency, they would say that's immoral because you're damaging private property. Right. But in an emergency, you wouldn't hold them, like, morally culpable for that. Because it's like, well, there's a higher order moral principle like preserving a life or preventing property damage. So I'm going to break this little bit of glass to get to the stuff behind it. To get, you know, and it says break glass on it, for example.
1: Well, in that case, yeah, the means justifies yeah. the end. And and, and you had another... That's a special situation.
0: Exactly. Sure. Like, you had another example where he's like, say you had, were, I don't know, stuck on a balcony, and you had to climb out and climb down a fire, like a, a pole, and then you had to break someone's window to get back in, otherwise your only mm. other option was falling to your death. He's like, you know, like, in, in a situation like that, you'd be like, you'd apologize, you'd be like, listen, I was, I was going to die, if I didn't break it, I'll, I'll pay for the damage, like... They wouldn't say, like, you know, you broke into my house. It's like, it was either that or you mm. died. Like, yeah, like, don't worry about it. It's like, it's not, we're not going to press charges against you as being, like, a, a thief or something like that. Or so like mm. a, a vandal. Like, it just, it wouldn't be the same as if someone did it with a
1: different intent. Right. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty cut and dry, too. Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Alright, so next up we're going to talk a little bit about what the Stoics thought about the uh, idea of natural or divine law, I suppose as they, uh, they called it. So they asserted the existence of a rational and purposeful order to the universe, a divine or eternal law, and the means by which a rational being lived in accordance with this order was the natural law, which inspired actions that accorded with virtues. That seems like a bit of a mouthful. Uh, the natural law first appeared among the Stoics who believed that God is everywhere and in everyone. Kind of like classical pantheism. According to this belief, within humans there is a divine spark, which helps them live in accordance with nature. The Stoics felt that this was a way in which the universe had been designed, and that natural law helped us to harmonize with this. So, I think Passio's work probably aligns pretty closely with this Mm -hmm. idea where it's like, listen, there is something that designed the way things are now. We have something divine within us. And if we can get those two things to line up, it's better than if we
1: don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good way to.
0: In its most simple form. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, living in accordance with reality is probably better than not. Mm -hmm. I I think we can agree on that. And it seems. (laughs) And when you look at all the examples of why you'd have to tell people this, it's like, yeah, I guess you kind of would. Achievement unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's why. That's why we all love those. what about the Romans? The the Roman dicks. What are they talking (laughs) about? These uh, natural law stems from the following. So, what nature has given to humanity from what the human mind embraces from the function of humanity and from what serves to unite humanity. So, Mm. I don't know. It seems like a lot of Roman sophistry to me.
1: Yeah, I don't think that exactly lines up with... Because, I mean,
0: there'd be, like, an easy counterexample to all these, but, you know, you didn't really want to counteract the Roman dicks a lot of times. You know, they were pretty choppy. <laughs> so.
1: And, uh, they had their emperors and such. Yeah, yeah, and they,
0: they weren't too too keen on the idea of constructive feedback. So, Uh, yeah maybe we'll just they thought they knew yeah maybe we'll just we'll leave the romans with their opinions uh sure (laughs) then there was cicero who i swear to god it seemed like he showed up late to the meeting didn't prepare a damn thing and was like googling what they were talking about (laughs) on his phone for the first like five minutes so Uh he could get caught up yeah uh so what about natural law cicero what do you think about uh well i think it contributes to the greater good oh does it And what is that, exactly? So, laws are for the safety of citizens, the preservation of states, to preserve tranquility and happiness of human life. It's like, okay, well, thank you for those miraculously profound platitudes. Mm. (laughs) Of, uh, yeah, what, what makes things good. And so, what about unjust laws? And he's like, well, those aren't real laws, right? Because inherent in the idea of law is that it's just and true. It's like, all right, well, that's convenient. You know, So it's like, okay, well, if, if the, the system that you set up ends up being corrupt, it's just because it wasn't the real system. It's like, well, where have I heard that argument before? Mm. Oh, that, that wasn't real socialism. No, no. Because if it was real socialism, it would have worked. It's like, okay. <laughs> I, I get it. So your right. definition of your u- utopian system is the version of it that works. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, law for Cicero ought to be a reformer of vice and an incentive for virtue. Like, okay well that's an interesting argument so using the law to reform vice and incentivize virtue i mean on the surface it's, it kind of sounds appealing right so like, okay we'll use this law which i presume would be the force of the state to reform people of their vice and to incentivize them to be
1: virtuous but as you said the devil's in the details yeah a so little what bit. do they consider a vice and a virtue hey
0: buddy is that a virtue you're demonstrating here's five bucks there you go right there free tax money <laughs> for your virtue and then a reformer of a vice, I don't know, what do they put them in gulags or something until they've reformed of their gambling addiction or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. Sister, maybe do a little bit more prep before you, you show up to the meeting because it's, uh, you know, doesn't seem like a great argument.
1: Yeah, seems pretty general.
0: So the virtues we ought to cultivate, cultivate, you know, at the point of a spear, I presume, <laughs> always tend to our own happiness. Oh, that doesn't sound solipsistic at all. And, that, and the best means of promoting them consist in living with men in that perfect union and charity which are cemented by mutual benefits.
1: Uh-oh. Oh, I don't I don't. I don't know about that. You're
0: kind of walking out on the ledge here now, Cicero. A little bit. Okay, so we're going to have this perfect union and charity that we all sit around and, okay, yeah, kumbaya, bro. Kumbaya. <laughs> you
1: know. Yeah, and... Again, Peterson talks about is happiness... Should happiness really be our you know, our primary purpose? Well, no, because
0: if it is, because the second you're unhappy, now your life has no purpose because it's been destroyed because you're not happy. It's like, now you got to go find being happy somewhere else. It's like, well, what about meaning? Mm-hmm. You know, what about responsibility? Mm-hmm. How about some of that? Maybe that will help a uh, side effect of happiness there. As a side effect, it's pretty nice, but I don't think it should be an orientation in and of itself. It's a, it's a little bit too uh, narcissistic, I think.
1: And I think if you're if you're trying to question people and how they think about things, it's not gonna make them very happy.
0: <laughs> no, it doesn't. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to like
1: fundamentally I've question? people? Wh- I've angered people and I've mm-hmm. made people angry because I propose the idea that maybe their life has a purpose and a meaning to it. But they would rather fight for no, there is no purpose to my life.
0: Okay, fine. It's like, we gotta, I gotta go meme. I'll be right back. So we gotta make a meme where it's the NPC face. And then somebody else tells them, Hey, NPC face, your life has meaning. NPC face stares blankly. And then frowns. <laughs> <laughs> I love that meme. That's like one of my favorites. Uh, so the other thing with, that I found wrong with Cicero's argument is mutual benefit does not ensure perfect union or charity. You know, I wish it did. It just doesn't really work that way. You know, freedom can be messy, but it seems to be better than the alternative, which is the gulag. Uh,
1: hmm. Hmm. Um, well, and just reality itself is messy too. Yeah. Like just you're not living you're, itself. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. There's, you're not going to be able to overcome that by just kumbaya feelings of living in mutual benefit paradise land. You know what I mean? It's.
1: Hmm. I mean. I think a lot of us do want improvements of certain, of, I guess, society and such like that. Um, It's not, it would be a good, in a way it would be a good idea for us to be unified in the sense that, yes, we notice we're being duped, we notice we're being manipulated, and we want to empower ourselves with knowledge. Mm. and act upon it it
0: would be but it's almost like you know that allegory of the cave it's like you're almost like, like a... you're almost choosing the delusion over reality because it's better mm-hmm. in a superficial way yes so it's like it's very difficult to convince people of that right yeah i think that's going to be a, a huge challenge where it's sort of like well
1: but there's been barriers put in place as well to keep them that way too partially.
0: yeah like, like if you try to criticize anything about like the public school system it's like, well, you just don't want kids to be educated. It's like, what? they're not being educated now. So if I criticize anything about the way things are being done, it's like, well, then you just hate teachers. It's like, no, I don't hate teachers. Well, then then you hate children instead. It's like, no, I don't hate them either. It's like, well, you, you hate somebody. You're such a downer. You're such a downer with your hating on the the bloody public school system. It's like, well, if you don't think there's any room for improvement, then okay, I guess we don't really have anything to discuss. Like, if you think this thing is perfect, then, yeah, by all means, continue to, to believe that I'm not going to change mm-hmm. your mind. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I don't really So, like...
1: but I would encourage, I would encourage you guys to have these conversations with people, to challenge people on their beliefs. Because mm-hmm. a lot of beliefs are false anyways. They don't, they don't necessarily, beliefs and opinions don't necessarily have no, they're usually, a bearing just, on reality.
0: Yeah, they're usually just good enough for now. Right? This is all I know at this point, so it's the you know the best I've been able to figure out is, this is as true as it gets. Until I right. figure out something more true, and then I'll just switch to believing that instead, right? So you kind of have to be like, don't take your opinions so seriously because they can change quite rapidly based on new information. And if you do take well, your yeah. opinions too seriously, you're probably going to be locked into that narrative because you now have a bit of an ego on the line.
1: So, you want to be open to new knowledge, but you don't want to be completely stubborn as well. I think it's... Finding that middle ground.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, what do the, uh, the Christians discuss here? So uh, I think when they talk about the natural law, let's see, uh, a law written in men's hearts recognized by man's reason, a law distinct from the positive law of any state or from what St. Paul recognized as the revealed law of God. So they talk a lot about revelation with that kind of stuff, where it's like, hey, here are some truths that have been sort of revealed to you. Mm-hmm. As being how things actually are. It's. I don't know, it's an interesting argument. Hard to falsify. <laughs> but, you know.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: Augustine of Hippo, who equated natural law with humanity's prelapsarian state, so I guess their pre fallen state before the fall of man or whatever. As such, a life according to unbroken human nature was no longer possible and persons needed instead to seek healing and salvation through the divine law and grace of Jesus Christ. So, according to this hippo guy, uh, a life according to... Yeah, so basically after the fall, you kind of have to uh, accept that now you're vulnerable and have to follow these divine laws and follow the Christ example and all that stuff, so...
1: Okay. Um Basically the, the one problem is, with that though is that um I think we can't if we're going to wait for a savior to save us, then we're going to be waiting forever and nothing's going to change. Whereas how about we become our own saviors? Manifest are, things yourself and manifest the Christ consciousness. Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe try to encourage other people to manifest that in themselves as well, right? Yeah, because so, there
1: can be this passiveness with Christianity.
0: Yeah, I've kind of noticed that, too. Uh, and in I some don't... ways, they're probably right about, you know, the kinds of things that you can't actually control. But sure. in a lot of other ways, they may be giving up a little bit too much agency in, Yes, in terms of their ability to affect their own circumstances. Yes. So I guess that there's advantages and disadvantages either way, but it seems like the Augustine of Hippo is point was basically that you know sorry guys are now aware of our own vulnerability and we need to be more careful with our choices so not in the garden Eden anymore and we're mortal so check out this guy jesus and he did some stuff try doing that
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and things might work out a little bit better than if you kind of just stumble blindly around and try to figure it out for yourself
1: yeah well i'd say uh, the yeah. spiritual principles of what he taught is the most you know important thing
0: yeah it's an interesting argument mm-hmm. uh so who's this next guy albertus magnus he restored natural law to its more independent state, asserting that natural law as a rational creature's participation in the eternal law. It seems like it's just sort of kicking the can down the road to another definition. But, mm-hmm. uh, yet, since human reason could not fully comprehend the eternal law, it needed to be supplemented by the revealed divine law. So I guess, for Christians, natural law flows not from divine commands, but from the fact that humanity is made in God's image, humanity is empowered by God's grace. Living the natural law is how humanity displays the gifts of life and grace and the gifts of all that is good. So natural law for Christians seem to be largely determined by three things, which is intent, circumstance, and the nature of an act. And that's a little bit too relativistic for me. Consequences are not within human control and are therefore not relevant. See, that's kind of the problem no. that, I, that I have a, a problem with. Yeah.
1: See, see the, the natural law that we were talking about with Pasio, it's also uh described as consequentialism as well so um i'd say no the consequences do matter and and a good amount of them are within human control
0: yeah so that's where they would maybe relinquish too much of that agency and too much external locus to control here
1: yeah uh so it might be so here we're seeing a problem with organized religion
0: yeah Yeah, so as an aside, it might be worth distinguishing between a teleological or consequences-based morality and a deontological one Mm. based on a principle. Uh Uh, So morality must be objective and universal, or the term sort of becomes synonymous with preference. Uh, So the Catholics. Uh, To know what's right, one must use one's reason and apply Thomas Aquinas' precepts. Uh, The reason is believed to be embodied in its most abstract form in the concept of a primary precept, Good is to be sought, evil avoided. It's kind of like Google's old mission statement, don't be evil. You know, it's kind of like this same Tom Aquinas kind of stuff. They didn't really, you know, do this good is to be sought. I mean, they seem to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Their search engines are pretty slick. (laughs) So, any rule that helps humanity to live up to the primary, good is to be sought, evil avoided, or subsidiary precepts can be a secondary precept, for example. Drunkenness is wrong because it injures one's health, and worse, destroys one's ability to reason, which is a fundamental human function, basically, as a rational animal. So it doesn't really support self-preservation. Theft is wrong because it destroys social relations, and humans are by by nature social animals, so it doesn't Mm. support the subsidiary precept of living in a society. So basically, human beings are designed for a certain function, so anything you do to impair that function would be a violation of natural Hmm. law according to Catholicism.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean,
0: I I think the like, you know, some that's... of the reasoning is, you know, kind of mental gymnasticky. A little bit like theft is wrong because it destroys social relations. Like, oh, how about it's just immoral because it's a violation of property rights? like mm-hmm. not excommunication for you.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh so natural moral laws concerned with both interior and exterior acts, also known as action and motive, simply doing the right thing is not enough. To be truly moral, one's motive must be right as well. So, for example, helping an old lady across the road, which is a good act on the uh, outside, to impress somebody, which is a bad interior motivation, will be wrong. However, good intentions don't always lead to good actions. The motive must go inside with the cardinal or theological virtues, and they are acquired through reason applied in nature. So this would be prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, which all seem to be uh, you know, pretty good virtues to have. Yeah, we
1: talked a bit about those in the Aristotle's Golden Mean. Yeah,
0: so uh, keeping that balance between things, and the theological virtues would be faith, hope, and charity. So these would be good things to do, and a good mindset to have. So basically, if you don't have those, maybe you're not
1: being as moral as you could be. I don't know, it's an interesting argument again. So, But if the Catholic Church does promote so much charity, then why do they have, like, basically a million dollar or, you know... Billion, possibly billion-dollar palace, and tons of riches. Yeah, stored within it.
0: I don't even know what's in there. Do they keep like gold and stuff? Or, or they got or well? Turns? It's
1: made a lot of it's made out of gold, and they've got you but know what priceless are they, art. What do they use?
0: Euros? Like What, what is this? Because I mean, like even if it was built, it's like is the Sistine Chapel or whatever else is in the, I don't know, what else is in the Vatican? All the church buildings for the Pope. Okay, all the Pope buildings, whatever they're worth, it's like well. What does that even mean? Like, who would sell them? Like, who would buy them? The papacy would never give them up. Like, it's not really something that you could exchange for money.
1: Well, but don't they say, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible, like, it's harder for, um... A
0: rich man to go to heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle or something? Yeah. I'm not really sure what that means exactly. I think that's probably what you are talking about before, but that uh, obsession with materialism. it's like Mm -hmm. you're never really going to follow Christ's example properly if you're obsessed with buying new BMWs all the time. And going about all the effort to acquire the resources to do that. Like you're probably just not going to orient yourself properly if that's what your goal is. Like your end result is like, I just have to have all this stuff. If if that's what it is, it's like maybe that's more what he's talking about. What do you think?
1: I mean, I just, to me, it, it doesn't really um, match up why, I don't know, an organization or group has to have this, um, you know, super elite, uh, you know, mini city or,
0: you know, just... Well, it's been around for, you know, hundreds of years. It's pretty old and people have probably paid for it through their voluntary donations in the collection plate. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe they're involved in really sketchy things like like human trafficking or something, I don't know, like, who knows how the papacy makes their money. Okay, why
1: do they have to live like that if they're trying to promote charity? That's what my my, main point is. Like, why do they have to live like royalty or, like, they're above everybody else, or I, you know what I mean? Well, it
0: certainly looks quite beautiful, but do they actually live in the lap of luxury? Like, I don't know what their personal accommodations look like. I don't know if they have, like, Maseratis and big, like, limitless credit cards, and I don't really know what their deal is, but it certainly looks quite nice. But it also seems that, you know, architecture and stuff like that, it's it's better for it to be beautiful than it is for it to be sort of brutalistic and concrete blocks or whatever. Like, what would you prefer That's to That's not what
1: I'm arguing though. That's fine if they have a nice architectural is there too building, much... but mm-hmm. I'm just saying the funds... Like, if they're... (laughs) If they're supposed to follow Jesus' example and... uh, Well, what would
0: help more people? Giving the money that would build the Sistine Chapel to the poor or building the chapel and having the poor visit it? For all of time.
1: It depends what the chapel's teaching them.
0: Well, like, as a work of art, though. Like, having it in the world would be more valuable than the money spent elsewhere. Does that make sense? Like, having a place to pilgrimage to, to see, to witness, to, like, see all the nice paintings and all that stuff, like, to be there with Mm -hmm. all those people in that place where that has all that history, like, is that phenomenon not more valuable than the money it took to build it? And because it was built by the church, and if the donations were voluntary, it's pretty much up to them, so who cares? Right? Like, if the money's coming in by moral means, what they do with it is frankly none of our business, right? Right? But do I see that you're pointing out that maybe it's a little bit hypocritical to live in a life of luxury while you're also saying that we should help the poor with charity? Like, yeah, I can see that argument if that's what they were doing. And if they are, then yeah, screw them. But uh, I think the problems with the Pope now are are more profound. I think he's going, like, embracing a lot of these leftist ideas.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, he's all about the climate change and all this stuff now, too. And it's like, okay, well...
1: And they have a huge pedophile problem within yeah. other Yeah,
0: they've had that, that issue for a while. But you know, the public school system has a pedophile problem. Every institution that involves children has a pedophile problem because it's where the pedophiles go, right? How I... I don't like the fact that they've covered up a lot of it, but I don't like it when any of those institutions cover it up. You know, whether this is a problem with the Catholic Church, yeah, I think they made a lot of bad decisions in how they chose to handle it, like rather than turning over... The priest to the authorities like the police they just move them somewhere else it's like well that doesn't really fix anything and now you're just moving the problem over there and what if you molest the kid over there that, that that's on you right but it's like okay well you know we got to preserve the institution and blah blah it's like I think the church can survive you know a scandal like that it's like hey it turns out one of our priests was a pedophile so we you know we fired him and we sent him to the cops and they threw him in jail oh, okay, so so problem solved? It's like, yeah, now what we're going to do is make sure that there's more screening in place to make sure that these pedophiles don't get in and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. You know, you can't take back what happened, but at least now you're trying to find a solution to make sure it never happens again, but they didn't. They just kind of said, well, screw it. We'll move them somewhere else. And it doesn't it's... seem
1: like they're getting to the root of it. No,
0: not even close. They're just brushing it under the rug because it's easier. It's laziness, but they're human beings, so obviously they're lazy. You know, it's like, well, why would we, we, maybe we hold the church more responsible because these people are supposed to be all, like, holy and whatever else, but it's like, well, you know, maybe they're just people that sweep things under the rug all the time because they're just idiots and they're lazy. And they can be immoral, too. There's no way to justify it, right? It's just, like, it's unjustifiable behavior, but it's like, if you want to understand why they did it, it's like, well, because it was easier than not doing it. Like, how much more of an explanation would really be necessary, right? There might not need to be some, like, crazy conspiracy with the churches involved in, like, child sex trafficking. It's probably like, no, they were probably just embarrassed, didn't want their get their hands all over it, so they figured, hey, if I just move this guy somewhere else, the problem will go away and I won't
1: have to think about it. We can look more into that later, I think. Yeah. I think there's a lot more to it.
0: But yeah, that, that organization needs to get itself sorted out big time. You know, so I think, I think it does help a lot of people. But it also is corrupt. But what institution would be immune from that corruption? I don't unchecked. think there could be. Yeah, so you always have to be maintaining them, always revivifying them and bring life back to them.
1: And I don't think you need to be really part of an institution to be, you know, let's say, spiritually enlightened.
0: Or... Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. I think that organized religion, it, it has a, its ups and downs. I think for some people it, it sort of it distills and simplifies a lot of the ritual and brings a lot of community. But then on the other hand, it means maybe you don't necessarily need to engage with the ideas as seriously because somebody else is doing that for you.
1: So one thing we got to consider, too, is that the original meaning of religion comes from the Latin verb Mm regulare, which means to hold back or bind. And we need to carefully consider that because... Yes, religion does bring people together and that is a positive aspect. It mm-hmm. does have this communal aspect to it. But I think
0: it means to hold back so there's a there is an element of tyranny to it in a sense because it's sort of saying the only reason we can bind ourselves together is because we're also agreeing what we're not going to do.
1: And you must right? you must agree with everything this authority says you should believe. You shouldn't question Really, anything that maybe this organization does?
0: Yeah, I think that that happens once it becomes corrupted. That's when you start getting those kind of attitudes. Because Mm. initially, like, I don't think there would be that if the message was strong enough in and of itself, because it would survive challenges to questions, right? But once it no longer can, or there's no longer desire to answer those questions, then it just becomes, "I just don't question it. This is the way it goes," right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, according to Aquinas, to uh, lack any of those virtues from before. Uh, let's see, is to make a moral choice. So if somebody, for example, consider a person who possesses the virtues of justice, prudence, and fortitude, yet lacks temperance due to their lack of self-control and desire for pleasure. Despite their good intentions, they will find themselves swaying from the moral path. So it's basically like four legs of a chair. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have all of them, or if you are missing one, the whole chair is just going to collapse, so... Uh, Some of the other religious aspects, uh, Islam, for example, uh, survival of the fittest is understood to be a strong component of natural law, so divine law can be found in the prophets. The Ashari school talks about the human mind uh, can know of the unlawfulness of an act through the five uh, makasid, or higher intents of the Islamic Sharia, to protect religion, life, property, offspring, and reason. Uh, and there's another school, the Maturiti School. Good and evil can be known without revelation. Stealing is wrong because people work hard for their property. Killing, adultery, alcohol consumption are all self-evidently evil to the human mind. Basic goods include religion, life, reason, lineage, property, and honor. So that's sort of what they see about the uh, the natural way things go. mm-hmm. Interesting arguments. You know, so there seems to be stuff in there about you know property and life and protecting <laughs> reason and all these kind of things so it seems like there's in those particular schools of thought doesn't seem to be differentiating too much from the other religious
1: practices mm-hmm. Let's
0: see what about Thomas Hobbes so found a uh theory of legal positivism of what all men could agree upon good luck <laughs> what they sought. <laughs> happiness was subject to contention but mm-hmm. the broad consensus could be formed around what they feared so violent death at the hands of another person so we may not all agree on what we want but we all know what we don't want so we don't want our property rights violated we don't want to be killed by other people so natural mm-hmm. law was how rational human beings seeking to survive and prosper would act mm-hmm. see that seems pretty straightforward so it's like listen if you're a rational person you want to survive if you want to prosper do this mm-hmm. don't do this that's natural law according to Thomas Hobbes mm-hmm. so in his opinion the only way natural law could prevail was for men to submit to the commands of a sovereign or the sovereign uh, because the ultimate source of law now comes from the sovereign and the sovereign's decision need not be grounded in morality legal positivism was born natural mm-hmm. law is a precept of general rule found out by reason of which a man is forbidden to do that which is destructive to his life uh, or takes away the means of preserving the same and to omit that by which he thinks it may be best preserved. Hmm.
1: So he says, submit to the commands of the sovereign. Does he mean the ruler?
0: I guess so. Maybe that's what he's talking about, because he was saying that it's like, maybe he's acknowledging that because the ultimate source of law is now coming from this individual, it doesn't actually have to be grounded in morality, because the guy could just not be moral.
1: Well, yeah, that's not good.
0: (laughs) Maybe I don't know, maybe maybe he wasn't advocating it, but that seemed to be how... uh,
1: he saw it
0: at least. So then there's John Locke. So if a ruler went out against natural law and failed to protect the life, liberty, and property, people could justifiably overthrow the existing state and create a new one if they want. Hmm. I find that kind of interesting where he's like, people will just overthrow the state and then just make a new one. It's like, well, why would they make a new one? Isn't that what got them <laughs> into the, the problems in the first place? Like, why would they just build it again? You know, oh, we'll just, we'll do the statism right this time. It's like, Okay. Uh, so then there was yeah Aquinas who talked about it being uh, participation in the eternal law and is discovered by reason so this I think is interesting how if you look at like the uh, some of the old religious stuff we talked about Aquinas was Mm -hmm. saying now that it's like it's an eternal law that exists all the time but it's discovered by reason so it's not so much revelation but it's discovered by reason it's a revelation of sorts but it's uh, maybe a little bit more internal I don't know Natural law is based on first principles, the first precepts. Oh yeah, this uh, the good is to be done and promoted, and evil is to be avoided. Yeah, we went over that before. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Thomas Aquinas refers to animals as dumb, and <laughs> then the natural order has declared animals for man's use. So Thomas denied that human beings have any duty or charity to animals because they are uh, not persons. So otherwise it would be unlawful to kill them for food. But human beings should still be charitable to them, for cruel habits might carry over to our treatment of human beings. It's not, not the most robust argument against violence against animals, but I guess it'll have to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, hey, we should just be charitable to animals, because you know what, if if we start beating animals, you know, we might start beating people. Mm. Like, okay, well why don't we just not beat animals because that doesn't that seems like unnecessarily cruel. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, but you know, we might we might start beating people alright whatever Uh, Thomas contributed to economic thought as an aspect of ethics and justice he dealt with the concept of a just price uh oh goodness here we go Uh, normally it's market price or a regulated price sufficient to cover seller costs of production he argued it was immoral for sellers to raise their prices simply because buyers were in pressing need for the product sounds like a bunch of commie nonsense eh Tim bloody communist (laughs) So uh, Aquinas was a careful distinguish the just or natural price of a good from the price, uh, which is manipulated by another party. Plenty social, I'd say. Their ideas go back pretty far. He determines just price from a number of things. First, just price must be relative to the worth of the good, which is determined by what other than price? (laughs) I'm not really Mm. sure. Uh, Aquinas holds that the price of good measures its quality. Quality. So, uh, the quality of a thing that comes into human use is measured by the price given for it. As as he puts the cart before the horse. You know, he goes out on to say that the price of a good measured by its worth is determined by its usefulness to men. The worth is subjective because each good has a different level of usefulness to every man. Aquinas argues then that the price should reflect current value of a good according to its usefulness to man. So, few problems here. Oh yeah, he also didn't like interest rates on money. To take usury for money that is lent is unjust in itself because this is to sell which does not exist, and this is evidently takes into inequality which is contrary to justice. So money and other similar goods are only consumed when they're used. Charging a premium for money lent is a charge for more than the use of the good. Thus, he concluded it's immoral or whatever. So, the problem with this, I suppose, is he fails to account for the risk undertaken by the lender. And that's the value that's added to the service. So absorbing risk in the market is probably what, it is what facilitates the flow of funds, creation of businesses and jobs,
1: right? So that would justify interest? Yeah,
0: because you're incentivizing lending money Mm -hmm. by allowing people to put a price on it. So for example, it's like, say a guy needs a loan for $10,000 to build a shed, Mm -hmm. a really, really big, expensive shed with lots of cool stuff in it. So we're like, we're both like, okay, well, we both have 10 grand to lend him. So like, well, shit, we both want this guy's business because he's going to pay us interest to do it. So I say, okay, listen, I'll charge you an interest rate. That means you're paying me back, you know, $11,000 at the end of a year. And you're like, okay, well, you can pay me back 500 bucks at the end of a year. In fact, I'll give you two years in that same price. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, you just undercut me and now you get the, to give him the loan instead.
1: hmm. Okay.
0: So you, there's still competition when it comes to lending money like that, right? And the interest rate is the price of lending money. It's what incentivizes it. Because if you couldn't incentivize the lending of money, nobody would ever lend it, right? You'd absorb no risk in the market, and you wouldn't have nearly as much job creation. You know, sometimes the investors take a bath. You know, but that's just uh-huh. a, it's like sort of like gambling, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But if they're smart enough to make the money, they're presumably smart enough to invest it. Not always, but it's possible. So, what other uh, was there anything else you really wanted to go over in terms of natural law? Or was there anything that we you think we left unaddressed?
1: Yes, actually, there's probably a lot. Yeah, I don't know if I can think about all of it right now. Well, we can but... always do
0: a part two, a part three. We can come back. Yeah, to
1: this. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I so mean... if
0: this is something that uh, you guys are interested in, definitely shoot us an email or uh, let us know in the comments of whatever service you're using this on, and we'll take a look. Um. But, yeah, I guess we'll just have to go by the download numbers. If people are uh, really taking an interest to this episode, we'll we'll come back to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, as we said before, feel free to comment and ask questions. We'd like to have that conversation with you guys. We'd like to know what you're thinking. And, um, yeah, I think we're going to explore this some more. And, um, yeah, overall, thank you for joining us and listening as always.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh The only thing I'd have to add is there was just uh, other topics. We didn't look at how Judaism, Plato, Adam Smith, David Hume, Adam Ferguson, any of these other ideas. So there's a ton of other schools of thought on natural law that we can look at. So if you guys really, really want to hear a different perspective on it or uh, an evaluation of the arguments used by a different group of people, we can definitely take a look and see what the merits are. But I think the, the concluding idea here would be that you know, it's good to live in harmony with reality because then reality won't smack you in the face quite as often.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's good to be aware, um of these principles, um, so we can act we can act properly <laughs> and orient ourselves to a better future for sure.
0: Right on. Well, uh yeah, on that note we'll uh see you guys on the next episode. Have a good one.